at the time I was living in a condo down the street from a fashion designer. I'd walk by her window and I'd see lace. And somehow we got connected on social media. And so I came up with this idea of using her dresses in my work and painting them on other female painters in New Mexico. So kind of incorporating all these women artists in New Mexico within my work. And of course, you know, I, I knew of Soroya. I loved his work. There was a Bouguereau painting I'd seen in Seattle with lace. Like I, I was, and of course, going back into my love clothing and fabric. And I've always loved painting fabric in, in my paintings. So I thought that this would be a fun way to explore something that is more traditionally seen in, you know, old work in the old masters paintings with, with handmade fabrics and handmade lace and bringing it into more contemporary feel. Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 272nd episode, I'm really excited to be joined by Shana Levinson, who spoke with me from Albuquerque, New Mexico, where she lives and works and keeps her studio practice. We talk a bit about her background in fashion and studying that, and how eventually she wanted to pursue her dreams of creating fine art and painting. And so we talk about how all of that evolved. Her work is extremely detailed and beautiful to look at. There's a lot of portraiture and figurative work with ornate dresses and fashion, as well as a recent series of Mylar balloon paintings, everything from just blown up balloons to Mylar words with these really ornate floral backgrounds. And obviously we talk all about how these paintings come to be, how long she spends on them, what kind of preliminary work, all of that great stuff. And it's a great interview. So stay tuned for that. I would definitely check out Shana's website, shanalevinson.com. You can see a lot of work there, and you can also learn about some of her workshops and some of her teaching. You can also follow her and check out more work and process on Instagram at slevinson. If you're checking out the podcast for the first time, head on over to studiobreak.com. We've got a big archive of episodes with different artists there. Each of those posts have images of their work as well as links to their websites so you can find out all about them. You can listen right there on studiobreak.com using the default player or subscribe to Studio Break on Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow on social media, so be sure to like our Studio Break page on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter, at Studio Break. And, of course, be sure to say hello on Instagram at Studio underscore Break. And now that those announcements are out of the way, let's get right into this interview with Shana Levinson. Stay tuned. Welcome to Studio Break. Shana Levinson, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. How are you? Excellent. Excellent. I'm all coffeeed up now, thankfully. So uh, (laughs) excited to talk to you all about your work. Good. I love kind of finding out where people are from and and knowing a little bit more about their background. So you're you're from like the the Southwest area, if I'm not mistaken, or? So I'm originally from Austin, Texas. Okay. And transitioned through other cities to Albuquerque, New Mexico eventually. So yeah. And then of course I dragged my husband here from Brooklyn, David Casson, mm-hmm. to Albuquerque. So <laughs> Sure, sure. So you're all located out there. Yep. You know, were you always kind of somebody that was like interested in, in drawing and kind of doing things when you were really young or Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean my brother is an artist and he's four years older than me. So watching him 
constantly drawing was something that was a given. I was going to be just like my brother. So mm-hmm. he drew cartoons. He had a cartoon strip that first started off with the name Fred Fiddlefoot <laughs> and then changed into Miles. And uh, he had a really successful career as a cartoonist. I mean, he did the cartoon strips at the University of Texas for their newspaper. And that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a cartoonist also. So I was constantly drawing. I would make my friends into cartoon characters. And I was obsessed with Escher. So I was const- mm-hmm. I was always drawing my hand, drawing my hand, you know. <laughs> well, I can't think of that um, artist who used to do a TV show, Mark something, Mm-hmm. He used to teach kids how to draw three-dimensional stairs and cartoon worlds. And so I'd watch that all the time and had his books and was drawing all the time. So I didn't know that that was exactly what I wanted to do because that was what my brother was going to do. And my brother was the artist and I was the athlete. So I'd never imagined that I would be an artist full time. Super interesting. What were was the family like super supportive and, and, you know, you pursuing things that you're interested in or was it oh, more like practical or? <laughs> yeah, no, my family never had doubt that I could do it. My, my dad, my dad thought I was going to be in the WNBA, which was never going to happen. <laughs> and my mom thought I was going to be a professional model again, never going to happen. <laughs> they of course had big dreams for whatever I was going to do. And they always supported, you know, the unfortunate thing is that we didn't have the knowledge or education to push me to buy books. So like I didn't grow up going to museums or learning about the masters. Mm -hmm. I I learned all of that in my twenties really. So I was kind of late to the game in the knowledge of art really until I guess really until kind of online stuff started picking up. And then I was just starting to travel with my ex-husband. Well, it's, it's always interesting talking with somebody that has so much of a background in athletics. Cause I always kind of like wonder what, what leads them uh, to art eventually. Was that something that came like much later or something that, you know, you were maybe doing while you were still doing athletics or. Well, when I went to my undergrad at the University of Texas, I went in fashion design. And so fashion design at the time was hand drawing. And I was still drawing at the time and really kind of picked it up after I got married to my ex-husband. And we started moving around for the military. He was training for the Air National Guard. Mm -hmm. And because I couldn't, you know, really work with my degree, I knew that I eventually wanted to apply for my master's in art and kind of go back into my original love of drawing and painting. And so I started really exploring that and teaching myself every medium while we were living in small towns around the United States. Oh, interesting. (laughs) Yeah. And I was drawing everything. I was drawing National Geographic covers. I was just copying what I could, drawing random objects from life and just kind of exploring that way. And, you know, we didn't have at the time, because this was in 2004, Mm -hmm. there wasn't as much access to online information. So everything was very much self-taught. Well, so, you know, so it's really interesting to kind of have all these experiences and then, you know, come back to kind of pursuing your your passion. It's actually something that I love about teaching because I have, you know, students that are in their 40s that are coming back to study animation and, you know, all sorts of things. So I I love the idea of, you know, somebody pursuing something that they're really, you know, passionate about. I'm curious, though, you know, like in terms of like fashion design and, you know, those experiences, was it something that you like, you know, started working in that field a little bit or, you know, you just kind of didn't feel like fulfilled there either in terms of kind of like pursuing that as a, a career? Or? No, you know, I was in the program. I loved it. There was a point when I actually was going to go study abroad in Oxford mm-hmm. and um, I loved fashion design, but there was a big 
jump in my life where my parents were going through a really horrific divorce. And I was kind of forced to move back home because of finances. And during that time, I started working, and this is a whole other thing, I started working as a makeup artist to oh, earn wow. money at Mac, at Mac Makeup. Mm-hmm. And that kind of changed the trajectory of my goals. I loved the company. Mm-hmm. They did a lot for the AIDS community, which I was a part of because I had an uncle who died of AIDS when I was growing up, my mom's brother. Mm-hmm. And it was very creative. I loved the people that worked there. I loved the energy. And so I stopped going to school so I could save money and try to get a full-time job with Mac because they would eventually pay for my college education. Mm-hmm. But then I decided that at some point I wanted to be higher up within the industry of Mac makeup and applied for a job in New York City. And that same week that I applied, I met my ex-husband and uh, decided to stay back in Austin did not go to New York and he put me back into school. So he helped me pay to finish school. And unfortunately, right after I graduated, he applied to go into the Air National Guard and we moved two weeks after my graduation. So there was no way for me to be able to really pursue fashion in, you know, Enid, Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> That's when I really started exploring and bought a ton of art supplies and learned how to work with colored pencils. I played around with acrylics, never liked acrylics, and then jumped straight into oils and just taught myself how to draw and paint until I knew eventually I could take art classes when we moved to a bigger city. I started taking classes, like we eventually moved to, one of the places we moved was Glendale, Arizona, and I started taking classes at the community college there. And uh, it was incredibly encouraging. The teacher told me that I had the ability to do it, you know, to, to make it, she was very impressed. And it really encouraged me into pursuing it because even the other students kind of looked up to me and I'd never really been trained. I also took a couple of classes at the Scottsdale Art School, Mm -hmm. which I actually teach at now, which is kind of a cool little cycle or circle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then when we eventually moved to Albuquerque, New Mexico, which was our final stopping point, I started taking classes at the University of New Mexico to eventually apply for my master's. So I took between like 40 and 60 hours. Their art history program is fantastic. Not very many traditional art classes. I took a few traditional art classes. The other ones were like land art, mm-hmm. abstract art, conceptual art, which I think was a great class. Mm-hmm. And eventually I had to stop because I found out I was pregnant with my first and mm-hmm. uh, didn't want to be in the building with all of the mediums. So I had my two children. They were a year apart, not planned, but it happened. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And when my son turned one, I felt like I needed to fulfill my dream of becoming an artist, which I uh, started looking at programs online that did correspondence programs and found the Academy of Art in San Francisco. So I applied to their illustration department for my master's because I originally wanted to illustrate children's books. And um, took my first class, which was Curoscuro, and immediately changed it to traditional fine art because I fell in love drawing the portrait with charcoals. And so I knew that that's what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to draw and paint people. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, the rest is history from there as far as where I started heading in my, my career of, of painting portraits. Yeah. And I'm especially interested, you know, you described earlier kind of, you know, growing up maybe like almost like on a 
uh, an island, you know, like in terms of like no exposure to art necessarily in terms of historical art or, you know, I'm sure things like Renaissance stuff. I mean, was that stuff that you're all kind of getting exposed to then in these previous experiences? And then, you know, as you're obviously continuing your education as a, as a master's student? Really, I started learning about a lot of it in my, my undergrad in fashion, mm-hmm. not with art, but with clothing. Okay. And I'm not a huge lover of history unless I'm learning it through art or fashion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Obviously, you you learn better with things that you love. And so I was really fascinated with learning history through fashion. And then when I took classes at the University of New Mexico, they had a fantastic program of art history. And I just was enamored with learning all the different genres of art that was out there. You know, I found out what I hated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I found out what I loved. Uh, you know, I, I didn't grow up going to museums. But once I started traveling with my ex-husband and now traveling to teach around the world with David, we go to museums and I get to see artwork that I never thought I'd get to see and still am continuously learning about. Any standouts? <laughs> Any standouts? Oh, Any early gosh. favorites? <laughs> Big loaded so, question. So. Totally. No, totally favorites. Um, I would say if I had to name one that really kind of pushed it over the edge for me as far as inspiration would be Soroya. Mm -hmm. David and I were teaching in Sevilla and we went to uh, Madrid beforehand and went to the Soroya house and to the Prado. The museum and the Soroya house had all the dresses that inspired the paintings next to the paintings. And I just, I could have walked through their for days, mm-hmm. <laughs> seeing the detail of the clothing. So it was the combo of, of the handcrafted clothing from my past of loving fashion mm-hmm. and that specific time period. And then seeing the gorgeous paintings, the really expressive paintings of Soroya's with his brush strokes. So that actually inspired my first solo show that I had in my gallery in Santa Fe of having my dresses the dresses that inspired the paintings next to my paintings. Yeah. In 2018. Well, and kind of going back to this, you know, MFA experience, maybe tell us a little about, I guess the setup, was it something that was kind of done then kind of like remote then so that you could raise your family and. Yeah. So the Academy of art was perfect for me having two young children, a one and two year old. I hired a babysitter at home. I was fortunate enough to have a studio space for myself in my old house And I would go in every day like it was a job, although I got to go in and do art and have conversations with students online. So it was really interactive, meaning like you had to go on and give feedback on people's work. You had to be you had to show that you were on there a certain number of times. And I only took two classes a semester as opposed to four because I really wanted to make sure I was dedicating enough time to each drawing, painting, whatever the, whatever the class was. Mm -hmm. So I was learning something. I wasn't rushed through it. They gave us high quality photos to work from that we could print out or work from a screen. I would print them out. So, you know, you're not getting the opportunity to work from life, which is unfortunate, but they provided recorded videos and uh, those were really high resolution. And then the professors would do um, video feedback on your work and circle the areas you needed to work on. So it was pretty interactive. It was pretty incredible. I mean, I would have absolutely loved to have been there and had the experience and, you know, been able to meet the students and kind of had that kind of interaction. Mm -hmm. I have a little bit of a insecurity about the fact that I didn't 
take class traditionally and study traditionally, like a lot of artists had the opportunities to do. So I worked with what I had, you know, and sure. so, um, I loved it. I, I made friends that I'm still friends with on social media that I've gotten to meet at conferences. The professors are now really good friends of mine. I show with a lot of them in galleries now, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. So it was an incredible experience, you know, outside of the fact that I could obviously teach at a college now, uh, which really wasn't the point for it, of it for me. For me, it was giving myself a way of learning routine and mm-hmm. discipline, as well as finding my voice because you have to come up with the thesis. And so I was starting to find my voice within my work in that program. Yeah. And maybe talk about some of those experiences because, you know, coming from your background, it seems like you'd be kind of just really open to kind of doing anything. I know that you talked a little bit about, you know, portraiture and and your interests in and and that. So, I mean, was that something that you were kind of really pursuing at, at that time too? So my thesis was all portraits. It's, it was titled Portraits of Parenthood. Mm-hmm. It took me a long time to figure out what I wanted to say with my work, you know, I didn't want to just paint something to paint something. I wanted it to fit who I was as a person. Mm-hmm. And at that moment, I was deep into being a parent. And so were my friends around me. And so I wanted to make quirky paintings about our experiences of being parents to kids and trying to entertain them on top of also being professionals in the world. Mm-hmm. Started off of quirky And then halfway through my thesis, I started going through a divorce. And that's kind of when the work got a tad bit more serious. Mm -hmm. And my skill level actually, I think, went up from there, specifically within the last painting I did to complete my thesis of my children together in the painting that spoke about the divorce and how stoic they were, you know, Mm -hmm. of having each other and getting through it together. They were only four and five. From there, it transitioned into kind of storytelling my struggle of overcoming that and uh, using my family, my, my children and myself within those paintings uh, as I progressed out of my master's. I'm assuming that you stayed in the area then after you completed a degree? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, you know, lived down the street from my ex. We have equal custody and it was very, the first two years were really challenging just mm-hmm. because, you know, being a mom, there's these expectations of having to be there for your kids all the time. So you have to kind of change your mentality in a divorced setting. And my artwork got kind of somewhat sadder, somewhat me trying to find strength. So there you can kind of see a search for strength within the work Mm -hmm. in, in painting my children and in painting myself at the time. And so that's where the, the work was heading. And I started exploring more paintings of painting kids and there's still more portraiture, but at some point, within that time frame, due to personal reasons, I was no longer allowed to paint my children anymore within my work. Mm -hmm. And so that completely shifted where I was headed (laughs) with with the direction of the paintings I was going to do. I had all these concepts of paintings that included my children, and I had to put a stop to it. So there's a painting I did of me holding a silhouette of my daughter Mm-hmm. with butterflies all in the background and then butterflies filling the silhouette as kind of a goodbye to that, that series of work until, until they're of legal age to tell me I can paint them. And so there was a little bit of an internal struggle of, well, crap, you know, where am I going to take my work now? And it was only a blip because at the time I was living in a condo down the street from a fashion designer. Mm-hmm. I'd walk by her window and I'd see lace 
And somehow we got connected on social media. And so I came up with this idea of using her dresses in my work and painting them on other female painters in New Mexico. So kind of incorporating all these women artists in New Mexico within my work. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, I, I knew of Soroya. I loved his work. There was a Bouguereau painting I'd seen in Seattle with lace. Like I, I was, and of course, going back into my love of clothing and fabric. And I've always loved painting fabric in, in my paintings. So I thought that this would be a fun way to explore something that is more traditionally seen in, you know, old work in the old masters paintings with, with handmade fabrics and handmade lace and bringing it into more contemporary feel. Mm-hmm. So uh, I reached out to her. I reached out to my friend Doriel Kami and Jody Herrera, who are both local painters in New Mexico, and started using them in my paintings with the lace. And then, of course, it kind of just exploded from there with me exploring lace more and exploring fabrics, storytelling with uh, these delicate fabrics on these women, showcasing them in a stronger way than what people would think that a delicate design would be on a woman you know not Mm -hmm. not making her seem coy or timid but strong and just a badass (laughs) sure sure well and again it seems really interesting obviously in terms of the those initial experiences that you're talking about kind of like working from photographs or not being able to kind of work from life to have almost like a collaborator where you can kind of you know, exchange ideas, or I'm assuming like, as you're setting up and and interacting with these women that there's, you know, things that are kind of going off that you're kind of seeing, or, you know, like, I'm going to move the light over here, I'm going to, you know, do whatever. Oh, yeah. You're almost like a director then in terms of that, that process. Yeah, absolutely. And and the fun thing about it is, you know, when I started going in this direction, I kind of didn't know where it was going to take me. But what I find so fascinating about photographing Doriel and, and Jody is they pose how they paint people. Their personalities of their paintings come out within their posing. And I'm obsessed with that. I love how they know who they are, not just as people, but it shows in their work. And so I'm painting them in a way that it's hard to explain how that ends up happening. But like now I use Doriel a lot in to tell my stories too with, within uh, her posing mm-hmm. or her story translate within my story because, you know, sometimes women's stories can interact or connect some way. So it's, it's a fun collaborative for sure. And is that something that too, like you come up with ideas in, in terms of like your day to day, or, I mean, are you kind of influenced by anything that you might see in culture in terms of like, you know, yeah. I gotta, gotta do this or that. Cause I'm always fascinated about process, you know? Absolutely. Maybe talk a little bit more about that too. I mean, I'm cause like, again, there's, there's artists that I know that'll be like, I love sketchbooks. I, you know, I keep a sketchbook religiously. And then you'll talk to an artist that's like, there's, there's never a time that I've ever opened a sketchbook since undergrad. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if like, these are like, just like ideas that are coming to you, like in terms of like visuals or, you know, if you're writing stuff down, maybe, maybe talk a little about that process too, in terms of like, when you start going like, Oh, I want to, I want to pull from this to start a new painting. Yeah, no, I mean, I get ideas from the most random places. (laughs) And a lot of them come out when I'm working out every morning. But they come from personal experience. They come from things I still need to resolve. It's almost like my therapy. And I write them in notes. I don't do sketch. Sometimes I'll do a sketch, like just a quick little kind of just to check out 
in my mind before I've even photographed it, the composition, mm-hmm. the stick figure sketch, like something just so rough mm-hmm. just to kind of get it out in my mind of what I'm thinking. I'll write pretty detailed notes. I have so many notes of ideas that have never come to fruition. <laughs> um, number one, they're dumb. <laughs> or number two, I'm not ready to paint them. You know, I need to fully process it in a way that I will feel satisfied painting it. You know, specifically my relationship with my father. Mm-hmm. We didn't have a very good relationship in my adult life. A great relationship when I was young, but not in my adult life. And I want to paint about that, but I'm not quite sure how to yet. So mm-hmm. there are things that still haven't come to me, but a painting I did of me wearing a gas mask was about me coming out of a suffocating relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, my most recent one, I did a Tondo with a white backlight with me wearing a a crown with skulls on it and the lace headpiece and my eyes are like white. And that came from a show that David and I watched called Penny Dreadful mm-hmm. sure, sure. <laughs> with Santa Muerta. And uh, it was all about the riots going on in LA. And so Santa Muerta, this beautiful woman would come and, and guide people into death. And there was something tragically beautiful about it that I wanted to capture in the painting. And so immediately after watching that show, I went onto Etsy, I bought the headpiece, I had the lace, and uh, I, I had this idea in my head for a year and a half, and I thought, you know, I'm about to teach this conceptual painting class, this is a perfect self-portrait to do to show them this concept, mm-hmm. you know, and it's always evolving, sometimes an idea comes to me as I'm painting it, like I wasn't going to paint my eyes this white, but I was like, I, it just happened as I was painting it. Yeah, so <laughs> my ideas come from the most random places. For sure. It's interesting to think about like how that'll be something that happens maybe more like, you know, in, a, in an immediate, you know, amount of time or like, you know, when I say that it's like a week or something as opposed to like a year and a half, because, you know, there's certainly things that you start writing down or, you know, observations that you make about your work or who knows, maybe you're like, you know, taking a, a little vacation or something and something clicks in your head. But I again really like that idea of kind of being able to pull from, you know, different influences and then again, kind of like setting yourself up to kind of work through something. And again, there's, there's something really fascinating to me about the idea of, you know, self-portraits, but then also kind of taking on these different roles. I mean, is that kind of like a reflection of what you were kind of describing earlier in terms of like, you know, being, being a woman and and kind of like taking charge, taking, taking power, if you will, over, over that, that statement or or that, that image? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it has to do with me taking power over the situation, but also a little bit of feeling a lack of power, mm-hmm. more so in the larger scale of maybe something that's going on in the world around us that's you feel a lack of control of. I somehow want to paint about it to feel I, I'm, I'm trying to express how I feel like I have, I'm so, so the small person in this big world of things going on that I can't do much about, mm-hmm. but I can paint about it in a non-obvious way. So I did a painting of me cutting off an eye mask mm-hmm. and that had to do at the time, there was those, all these fires going on in Australia and all these animals dying and these people dying. And uh, we're all the way over here and there's a little bit of helplessness you feel. And so, but you can also put that in so many other conversations of feeling helpless and feeling like we're blinded to things. You know, we, we're able to choose our own bubble. 
another aspect of your work is that there's there's the drawing side of it too so does that work kind of like hand in hand in terms of like do you do like preliminary drawings to start out a painting and kind of let those inform each other or do you kind of think of them as as two separate things when you're you're going to work through a drawing as opposed to a painting not always do I do drawings. I love starting doing a drawing and a pretty detailed drawing of a portrait before I start a painting just to kind of get the values understood a little bit more mm-hmm. because I feel like I'll jump into the painting a little bit quicker. Or sometimes I like to do a painting sketch, like a smaller painting. So before I did the latest painting, the Santa Muerta inspired one, I did a smaller one, not the same pose, but the same concept, just real small one day painting to kind of figure out my colors because it was going to be backlit and I've never really done a backlit painting. So I kind of wanted to explore that before I started the demo for my students. Mm-hmm. So I love doing little, little small painting studies as well um, as drawings. Uh, I would say I probably do those a little bit more like I did. And they're more detailed, small love balloon paintings with the L O V E on separate panels mm-hmm. before I started the bigger one. I did a much bigger one with the flower background. So I, I think sometimes that helps me kind of get into the mindset of what I'm going to do when the painting's a little bit bigger. Sure. And obviously, I would assume that you're working on these pretty intensely. You know, the, the painting that we were just talking about a little while ago, the Santa Huerta painting, how long is something like that? you know, take you? I know that's probably like a, a newbie kind of question. You know, you can probably imagine no, people yeah. walking up to a, walking up to you in an opening going like, oh my gosh, this must take you hours. Usually on weekdays, I get up around five in the morning because I have two kids. So I get up at five. I, I come into my studio, which is by the kitchen. I kind of set up my palette. I kind of see what I need to do for the day. I go work out. That's a big part of my process is working out because I get a lot of my creative ideas. Also, I sit in a very idle job. So working out for me gets me moving, gets my blood flowing. Mm-hmm. I take the kids to school and then I come home. I'm in the studio usually from 830 to, gosh, on a good day, five, if I can, mm-hmm. you know, if I have nothing else going on. I do a lot of uh, mentorships. So I'm, I'm always online with Zoom meetings and I don't even grocery shop. I, I have that delivered. <laughs> you know, any anytime I can stay in the studio is great. My framer is even nice enough to drop off my paintings because I'm, he knows that I want to keep working. So <laughs> that one specifically probably took probably about three weeks. Okay. That's full time. David likes to, my husband, if you guys, I mean, I'm married to David Casson, who's an artist. And I always say, David, everyone's like, I don't know who he is. If they don't, <laughs> then they must. So, <laughs> but he likes to work on multiple paintings at a time or drawings and, uh, and switch things in and out. And I'm a single solo focus on one thing at a time, get that finished to the best place and then move on to the next piece. It's just kind of, but I always have a panel ready to go. So I'm about to start a commission for a client. Mm -hmm. I have two other panels primed and ready to go for two other commissions uh, that are Mylar balloon commissions. So, and then after that, I'm going to, before I even finish those, I'm going to photograph probably my next painting that's not a commission and get that panel ordered from because I use um, aluminum composite panels mm-hmm. from artifacts I'm an ambassador with them so I call I'll email them and be like I need this size panel so I'm like I need it ASAP because usually I'm like okay I'm moving on to the next painting I need to have it set and I always have a small panel ready because if I don't have that panel the big panel ready for a big painting I'm going to work on something small. I can st- I can do a small study of, of lace or a small study of, uh, I always have reference to work from. So 
there's not one day that I'm not working. Again, I kind of bring it back to that idea of what people's perceptions are. You know, I think somebody could see your paintings and just be like, oh my gosh, just this super talented person and they could just let it pour out. But I would imagine there's got to be some of that that's like, you almost can't stop, you know, just obviously because you love it. But then also so much of I would imagine what you do requires just that that time, that dedication. It's also a little nerve wracking being a painter because we don't get paid per hour. Mm-hmm. So there's also that little bit of worrying about failing. Mm-hmm. That little bit of, of, okay, I have bills to pay. I don't want to fail. I'd like to have product out there. Not all my paintings do I paint to sell, mm-hmm. but I like to have product. I like to keep working because if I'm not working, I'm not creating something. And then I feel this massive amount of, of nervousness of failing. Mm-hmm. It's sure. my own personal thing. You know, this is, it's probably like a a terrible thing to do. I should probably allow myself a break, but I don't. (laughs) Well, I think it's like a built-in thing for artists, you know? I mean, again, I talked to you earlier and I know that you do a lot of workshops and and I I teach and it's, again, just really interesting that those kind of conversations that I have, because, you know, for me, it's just all about the confidence that you have after failing so much or kind of being a problem solver. You know, you kind of make all this work. There's, there's days where nothing is going right, but then you kind of have this, this notion that if I just stick with this, it's, it's going to work out. And I think for me, that's what gives me confidence is that I just know that I'm just kind of psychotic in terms of my, (laughs) my grinding away at things, even if something isn't working. So I'm I'm sure that's something, you know, that kind of, gives you that, that confidence too, and that I'm going to stick with this. I'm going to, I'm going to finish this, you know? I think that's also the athlete in me. It's like, you know, you get knocked down, you get right back up, right mm-hmm. back at it. Cause you're only, you can only get better if you keep working on it. You only fail if you stop. So anytime I have like a rejection or, you know, something that just makes you feel bad, you allow yourself a little time to mope about it. And then you get back up and you go back at it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because you're not going to get better unless you create the work. And not every painting is going to be great. I look at paintings that I that I have out there and I'm just like, oh my God, I cannot <laughs> believe. You know what I mean? Sure. So the only way to continue getting better is by getting back at the easel and creating. I, I also really love teaching. I mean, I think teaching is great way for me to think about my process also as an artist Mm because you're verbalizing why you're painting something why you're using that color why you're putting that down so it is constant problem solving uh, when you're painting on your own but you're also teaching others how to problem solve which helps you like it's like you're talking to yourself at the same time you know sure sure so i i'm a i'm really passionate about teaching um workshops and and i love mentoring students as well so my mom was a teacher growing up, so I think I get that from her. One thing that we even talked about too is maybe talk a little bit about the the process of going from again, like being this, you know, person going back for art to kind of building out this, you know, career. Again, I mean, you you obviously have you know commissions that keep you busy. You're teaching, you know, you're doing all these portraits and and all these paintings. But maybe you know explain or at least break down a little bit what that process was like did you just start you know getting after it in terms of showing and you just kept making strong work and just getting out there until the point that you know you were just always busy painting or yeah no that's a great question and this is something that you know I talk to my students a lot about because it's not easy we have to make it as painters um, with making product but that's not the case most of the time you know not most artists can't just paint and survive mm-hmm. And uh, it was very nerve wracking. I divorced uh, somebody who took care of me. I didn't know how to buy a car. I, I, mean, I met my ex when I was 19 and he literally took care of me from that point on. And so I went from 
you know, in my mid thirties, learning it all over again. And so he helped finish paying for my master's, thankfully, but I had to jump into teaching. So I have a studio space that's quite big outside of my house. And I started teaching little kids classes, <laughs> like real little kids. And I was doing camps and uh, I did a camp. I did week long camps in my studio for different age groups, you know, cartoon camp and abstract art camp and like every kind of camp you could think of. So I started doing that for the first couple of summers, Mm -hmm. but also during the year I was doing after school art classes for kids. And then slowly as I started building up confidence, I was entering shows. I was not in a gallery yet. I actually didn't get into a gallery for quite a bit of time because I was selling on my own, thankfully, Mm -hmm. but I didn't really get into a gallery right away. And then I started teaching teen classes, adding that in. Then I stopped teaching the little kid class and just teaching the teens. And then I built up to teaching adults in my studio and started having weekly classes um, in my studio. So it was a process. I mean, immediately after I graduated, I started selling work for real cheap. But I was doing, I was selling some of my big paintings and I thought, okay, people want my work. Okay, this is giving me a little confidence, you know? Mm-hmm. Sure. And, uh, well, I, I won a couple of awards with the paintings of my kids. I sold those paintings. And that's why I got nervous after because those paintings were so successful that I was like, oh my gosh, now that I can't paint them, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. And the lace paintings took off. They just it hit a market that was untouched. Mm-hmm. And I still continued to teach. And teaching was a big part of my income monthly. And then COVID hit, of course. And that's when I was like, we have to teach online. Mm -hmm. Sure, sure. (laughs) And uh, a month after March, so I taught my first online workshop in April. I jumped right on it. And that thankfully helped keep us afloat. I've been very fortunate over the past couple of years. You know, because I would say that I didn't really start diving into my art until uh, 2011 is when I started my master's Mm -hmm. and I got divorced in 2014. 2014 is the first time I sold the big painting and then slowly started selling stuff and started teaching. But really it's been, I don't know, I would say four years that I've been selling really consistently Mm -hmm. and, uh, and teaching workshops. But online was really great. It was a really great way for us to to make money. And, but what I was saying was early was that I have some amazing collectors Mm-hmm. people that continuously come back to to buy more work from me or recommend me to somebody or whatever the case may be. And I'm always shocked, as maybe most artists are, I don't know, maybe just me, mm-hmm. that somebody wants to buy a painting of mine. Sure, sure. <laughs> Especially if it's a portrait or something super personal. And I couldn't be more grateful. You know, it's something that excites me. It drives me to go to the easel every day just because whether someone's going to collect it or not, if I'm just motivating one person to keep going within their with their artwork, mm-hmm. just by sharing my own work, that's exciting. One of the things that it kind of reminds me of, you know, you're talking earlier, and I can't remember what date you were talking about relative to 2004, but I just think back to like my experiences being in graduate school and YouTube coming out. I think we were talking <laughs> a little bit about like, you know, what was out there to learn online. And it's interesting because I think about it relative to how things have shifted and changed so much, you know, and especially after the the pandemic, you know, started. And again, I guess we're, we're still in it, you know, galleries closing and really just in the last, you know, 15 years, probably, if not even less, you know, there's so much that's changed in terms of artists being able to kind of 
do all these different things to kind of manage their, their career that I think, you know, when I was in graduate school, I think the perception was everybody was going to focus on making this very, you know, academic, important art. And then, you know, they're going to get that teaching job. And I think when those jobs started kind of maybe not being as plentiful as they used to be, you know, people turn to adjuncting and then it's kind of like trying to figure out how to manage all that. No, absolutely. No, I totally, I totally get what you're saying. You know, for me, it's, it was, uh, it was teaching workshops, you know, uh, not, it was a little less so with teaching in a college just because I don't live, I'm not going to teach at the university of New Mexico mm-hmm. and we don't live in a place that I would, you know, teach at a college, mm-hmm. but not that I wouldn't, I, you know, there's some colleges I would love to teach at teaching workshops. It was a little nerve wracking, but what was the sad, but beautiful part about what happened during the pandemic, you know, and I know we're still in COVID, but people were hungry to learn and people who never allowed the time to take off to take an art class that Mm -hmm. have a different job who were now home were able to do so. And so the beautiful thing that David and I did right away was we started teaching online and we noticed we had people from all over the world signing up for my workshops. And we offered two different options. We offered an option for you to fully take the class to get the full critique and we offered a view only for people who were a little timid or may not have had the finances to afford the full class. Mm-hmm. But also, it was a lot cheaper than flying somewhere to take a workshop. Mm-hmm. What I found with teaching online was it allowed for people who have kids or can't afford to travel to take a workshop or take the time off mm-hmm. to take a workshop in person. We're hungry to learn online, you know, and so we would pre record our demos and do these really detailed workshops with students. So it really, it started to die down though. People were starting to get, well, once, you know, things started opening back up, people were taking a lot less of the classes. So we're not doing them quite as much anymore. And actually next year, every month, I think we're teaching a workshop somewhere. So people are excited to be around one another again and learn in person. Teaching in person allows me to build relationships with them to get to know them better, ask them questions, have conversations about art see their artwork a little bit more, talk about who inspires me. Just It's just a different atmosphere than online. Yeah, I found that it's interesting in that, like, not having documented, you know, my processes to the extent that I have, you know, teaching, you know, through video lectures and things like that, I found, like, one of the things that was really cool about that was to be able to access that. But, yeah, absolutely, you can't kind of have the same types of conversations or, you know, even just like little things like humor, you know, because it seems like it's so distant when you're, you know, working remotely as opposed to kind of being in person. Because there's certainly like a, I don't know, like a lightheartedness. There's like this shared camaraderie, like in a classroom where everybody is trying to be creative and trying to figure out how to do that better that that I just always find so, so fun. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we would go to lunch together and, and, you know, talk about our lives, our families, the art that they want to make, we become a little family for four or five days. And it's it's great. A positive thing, as you said earlier about online teaching, is that they don't have to write down vigorously everything I've said. Mm-hmm. You know, sure. they can go back to it and watch the recording and rewatch what I did in that moment of painting the eye. Maybe they have a question or didn't see it right away, you know. So mm-hmm. that is also a positive thing about online te- teaching that that they don't have, you know, in person. You know, another another body of work that I definitely want to talk about too are these kind of inflatable paintings and and kind of um, 
you know, again, I don't know where this happened. Were you like literally at a party store and you're like, oh, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I'm, I'm saying that because they're so gorgeous too, but I love, you know, the differences between being able to balance between, you know, portraits and exploring that side of, you know, your, your work. And then also the hyper real, you know, balloons. I mean, again, really beautiful to kind of see the, the differences, but obviously like that detail is still very, very present, but what, what started you on on that track, I guess? Yeah. So I painted a self-portrait and it was a little bit about me missing painting my kids with a clown balloon Mm -hmm. that I'm holding. And it's called Party of One. It was also about like the frustrations of always feeling like you're trying to entertain your kids, make do all these good things. And like, yet nothing's ever good enough. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's this big clown balloon. And it was the first time I painted a Mylar balloon. And I had a blast painting it. The fact that I could create this really three-dimensional shiny object so realistic surprised me and so I knew I wanted to explore that more and I also loved how much people felt about a clown balloon Mm -hmm. (laughs) a lot of people hate clowns so that uh, I also really love bringing out a deep emotion that someone's feeling Mm -hmm. within that in a weird way but then from there I got a commission from somebody for a fish balloon for their their summer home Mm-hmm. Your beach home. So I jumped into doing that and then I did, then it kind of spiraled. I was like, what other balloons can I buy? What other shapes can I buy? So then I, of course, did a unicorn. My daughter loves unicorns and, and played with that balloon. And mm-hmm. she, I, you have no idea how many, I have so many shaped balloons in the other room in my, like in a little, in a little box of just to eventually get to mm-hmm. that I have ideas. And then I had somebody inquire about doing a commission of someone's name of a name for a bedroom and um, unfortunately they couldn't afford the cost of it but I thought huh that'd be cool like to do Mm -hmm. words to do letters so I started buying letters and words and playing with those and I wanted to start doing some big balloons with floral backgrounds playing with the idea of natural element of the flowers with these incredibly bad for the environment mylar balloons that unfortunately I'm buying and supporting, Mm -hmm. but having them in there, but also using words that were motivating in some way. And I'm going to push it further. After these commissions I do, I have bigger paintings with floral backgrounds that are going to be maybe more crass Mm -hmm. (laughs) and fun, but there's something really fun and, and surprising about being able to create this three-dimensional shiny object on a flat surface. So I'm purely painting them out of the selfishness of enjoyment (laughs) that (laughs) other people tend to like. So, you know. Sure, sure. Well, there's something so fascinating about taking a material and then making it kind of do something that's so unexpected. You know, when Mm -hmm. when you make something that looks shiny, you know, with a material that maybe you don't think of looking shiny, you know, again, that's just really fascinating to me. It kind of builds this like sense of surprise, you know, when you see something and you're like, oh, wow, you know, just like, again, there's an artist friend of mine, uh, Shelby Shadwell, who paints these kind of space blankets that are just super shiny and reflective. But again, it's just charcoal. 
And it's just yeah. something so cool about that related to all of that work though, that you do. I mean, again, just being able to paint something with so much detail in terms of like wardrobes or, you know, that kind of shiny kind of reflectiveness of, of the, you know, again, just kind of seeing even just some of those small details. There's a recent one where you paint like the, um, the little like string ribbon, you know, kind of like at the yeah. end of them. And it's just kind of like, wow, you know, like it's, it's just so cool when you see something that, you know, really fools your eye. And, and again, it's just, it's just paint. It's, I, I think that's one of my favorite things about oil paint is, you know, being able to convince somebody that this could be real. Mm -hmm. My next commission that I'm actually about to start today is a woman flew out here. I'm painting this fabulous caftan that she inherited from some famous actress. She's holding a Mylar balloon. So Mm -hmm. I get to incorporate both of my loves into one commission. So it couldn't be a more perfect painting for me to, to be doing now. <laughs> well, and it sounds like, again, you're, you're able to kind of continue making, you know, both portraits and then, you know, these Mylar paintings, but maybe talk a little about too, like what happens, obviously you got, you got a commission coming up, but you know, if you've got like a show coming up, how do you, how do you balance all these things out? I would imagine that it's just really important to be in there eight thirty to five every day if possible. Yeah. I mean, you know, having a lineup of what work I'm going to create, getting the panels ready, you know, and, and working as much as I can. And it's all balanced because I make sure I'm out of the studio at five or six when, when my children are home, at least, and let, you know, David and I will do a paint date night, but mm-hmm. when my kids are home, but after dinner time, it is family time. It's not time to work anymore. Even if I have a deadline, I'm very strict on making sure that I'm spending time with my children when they're, home. I have them I want to make sure that I'm giving them the time that they need right now because, you know, they still like me. They're 11 and 12. Mm-hmm. I want to I want to hold on to that until they don't want me around anymore. And then I'll be <laughs> in the studio all the time. Sure, sure. Well, interesting. Do you have a lot of stuff coming up in the next year? I mean, you talked a little bit about workshops, but are there other projects and things that you're kind of working towards? Or Yeah, I mean, I have little exhibitions I'm going to be a part of here and there. Beautiful Bazaar invited me in an exhibition and next year and I think October. But really what I want to do is I want to keep exploring these mylar balloon flower backgrounds, but also using some large figures with floral backgrounds as well. So that way it's this beautiful series of work of figures and mylar uh, with these really detailed backgrounds. So I'm working on getting a great grouping of those together to I'm kind of in search of of showing in a in a more contemporary gallery. So mm-hmm. I'd like to approach them with this fantastic series of work. Sure. Be like, hey, I got these paintings. Let's do something. <laughs> yeah. And again, I just love that kind of contrast between that like kind of plastic, artificial, kind of blown up thing and then you know, just all these floral arrangements that are so rich and detailed. And obviously, you know, it's cool too, because you get some of that reflected color too, you know, in terms yeah. of letters and, and the blow ups. So, you know, I've never, never thought I'd be a flower painter. <laughs> the, the love balloon painting was kind of my first like flower, flower painting I'd ever done. And I was like, all right, girl, let's just do this. And I think that's what I love the most. I love, I love challenging myself. I love like forcing myself to learn something new where I never make it easy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I never want to make it easy. I want to keep challenging myself with each painting. Sure. Sure. Well, and I guess, you know, obviously people can go to your website, shanelevinson.com. Is that the best place to find out about like workshops, upcoming things like that? Yeah. Workshops are on my website. I try to keep it as updated as possible. So I think I still need to put my Dallas workshop, which is in January. I'm sorry mm-hmm. on there. Cause some, some of these workshops are so casual. They're like, we don't have a website, you know? So I'm like, okay, great. How do they contact you? 
but yeah, most of my workshops are there. I'm also very reachable on Instagram. I try to respond to everybody. I even look mm-hmm. in like the notes. So I'm pretty good at responding through social media if anybody has questions about workshops. Yeah. And it sounds like then you've got like what, like a week that you're kind of like working with, with these students and kind of getting to know them. And that's part of that experience. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We go to lunch. We always go out with the students at least at night. You know, I have a workshop here in February in my Albuquerque studio. So I, I invite all the students to come to my house one night because we have our studio here. We have wine. We go to dinner. It's a it's a good time. Really, really cool. So and obviously, like you're posting stuff to Instagram all the time, I'm assuming, too. All the time. Yeah, all the time. Oh, and David and I have a couple of co-workshops coming up and those will be fun. The one in Dallas, we're teaching together for three days. We're teaching in Rome for two weeks in May. We're teaching in Sevilla for seven days in June. Mm -hmm. And then we're teaching in Munich during Oktoberfest over two weekends. So it's like Friday through Sunday and then Friday through Sunday together. So that sounds horrible. We kind (laughs) of like, I know, doesn't it? It sounds horrible. So this is how we get to travel the world, though, because they bring us there. Sure. If that, if that weren't the case, we would be in Albuquerque all the time. <laughs> no, that's fantastic. I mean, again, you know, kind of like I was talking about a little while ago, it's so awesome that you've managed to, you know, kind of turn your studio practice into that, that larger career. But then also, like, it sounds like it's always an adventure. You're always kind of getting out there. You're able to travel. So I would imagine, again, you just probably don't have a, a well that's running dry at all. You just kind of keep getting excited and, and making new work. Yeah, let's hope I can keep this up. <laughs> I'm never stuck. I always have a painting idea. I always have classes I'm ready to teach. So yeah, I'm. <laughs> let's hope that I can keep that going forever. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, again, thank you so much for taking the time to, to talk to me all about your work. It was so great kind of learning more. And, and it, again, I just really appreciate you taking the time. Of course. I was honored to be asked. So it was, uh, it was a lot of fun to talk to you. Thank you so much. Thanks so much to Shana for joining me. You can check out her work at shanalevinson.com. Lots and lots of paintings there, drawings, as well as information about those workshops. There's a number of them being offered in the coming year. So check that out if you want to learn how to paint hands or draw portraits or anything like that. Really cool to learn directly with Shana. And also be sure to check out Instagram and follow her there, S. Levinson. You can see all sorts of works in progress, videos. So S. Levinson on Instagram. If you enjoyed listening to today's episode, just remember we've got a big archive of podcasts on studiobreak.com. Each of those posts there have images of the artist's artwork, links to their websites, and you can listen right there on studiobreak.com or subscribe to the podcast in Spotify or Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. Some recent guests include multimedia artist Leah Anderson for episode 270. We had Michael Willie on for 269, who's a really fantastic abstract painter and good friend of the podcast. We had Erica B. Hess on for 266, who hosts I Like Your Work podcast and is a fantastic painter. If you go way back to the summer, you can listen to David Casson's interview for episode 259. That's Shana's David. So again, very excited to have a couple of artists on this year. And I guess that pun is intended. If you enjoy any of these recent interviews, be sure to let us know. You can do that by liking our Facebook page. You can find us on Twitter at Studio Break. And of course, on Instagram at Studio underscore Break. Be sure to say hello. Give us a shout out. 
Music for today's episode is by Golden Shadow, which features myself on guitar, Ben Cohan on drums, Brett Beery on bass. You can find us on Instagram at Golden Shadow Band, and we'll hopefully have some exciting news coming up in the near future, so stay tuned there and follow us. Both of the Golden Shadow songs today features members of the band's The Decals, Brigham Hagerman and Clint Parrish, so thanks for joining us on this jam. Again, you can check out Ben's paintings by following him on Instagram at Studio and seeing work there that's available. You can listen to Brett Beery's music by following him on Instagram and finding a link to his albums on Bandcamp there. And, of course, you can find my work at davidlinaway.com. There's actually lots of paintings up for sale right now as part of a special promotion directly from me to help raise some funds for the Studio Break Gallery that's going to be opening up in 2022. So be sure to check that out. There is some small prints available, mid- and small-sized works of all kinds. So check it out at davidlinaway.com. And, of course, you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at davidlinaway. Be sure to say hello. And, of course, obviously, if you've got any questions or want to commission even uh, love to hear from you and with that we are wrapped i really really hope that you enjoyed today's episode as much as i did of course if you did let us know let shana know give her a follow say hello on instagram and of course it's always great hearing from listeners when you enjoy uh, a podcast or seeing one of these new artists so be sure to let us know otherwise stay safe out there stay productive we'll talk to you real soon <laughs>